I take refuge in the Buddha. I take refuge in the Dharma. And I take refuge in the Sangha. Day three, Ancient Way session, talk four. Thank you, session participants, for being here. If you changed your schedule to be part of the Dharma talk, thank you for doing that. And good morning to our regulars of Sunday program and anyone that's new to Sunday program. Thanks for coming. This session is the kickoff to our autumn ango. And I'd like to start by reading a short part of a fascicle that Dogen wrote entitled Practice Period. Autumn ango is a practice period. If we are fortunate enough to practice a practice period before our do-like life drops down, whether in the realm of humans or devas, we will surely replace our skin, flesh, bones, and marrow with the skin, flesh, bones, and marrow of Buddha ancestors. During every practice period, it is the Buddha ancestors who come to practice the practice with everyone, and everyone who participates in the practice period practices as a Buddha ancestor. Because of this, those who engage in a practice period are called 1,000 Buddhas and 10,000 ancestors. The reason for this is that a practice period is the skin, flesh, bones, and marrow, as well as mind, consciousness, and body of Buddha ancestors. Practice period is the top of the head, the eye, the fists, nostrils, the Buddha nature circle drawn in the air, the whisk, wooden staff, bamboo stick, and sitting mat of Buddha ancestors. Practice period is neither creating something new nor reusing something old. The world honored one said to complete enlightenment bodhisattva, and all those in the assembly, as well as to all beings. Those who participate in a three-month practice period should abide as pure bodhisattvas, their minds free from the world's chattering, uninvolved with the world's opinions. And you can take on this practice even just for the remainder of this Dharma talk or session their minds free from the world's chattering, uninvolved with the world's opinions. On the opening day of the practice period, make a statement like this in front of the Buddha image. I, monk, nun, lay man or lay woman, so and so, now mount the bodhisattva vehicle in order to activate the practice of tranquility and together with all beings enter the true mark of purity and abide in it so that we can all make complete enlightenment our temple. We can all make complete enlightenment our temple. The wisdom of equanimity and the freedom of nirvana are without boundaries. I pay homage to them. 
Without being influenced by the opinions of the world, I will engage in the three-month practice period with all the Tathagatas and great Bodhisattvas in the Ten Directions. Because I am now embarking on the practice of the great cause of the unsurpassable wondrous enlightenment of all the Bodhisattvas, I am free of the bondage of the world. Good Bodhisattvas, this is a practice period that manifests bodhisattvas. Thus, when monks, nuns, laymen, or laywomen participate in a three-month practice period, they invariably practice the great cause of unsurpassable, wondrous enlightenment together with tathagatas and great bodhisattvas in the Ten Directions. Note that it is not only monks and nuns who participate in the practice period, lay men and lay women also participate. The place of this practice period is great, complete enlightenment. So our practice period is underway. The monastery was in a frenzy of activity this past week getting ready we had two Ongo opening ceremonies, one which we orchestrated with Heart of Wisdom Zen Temple on Zoom. And it was definitely our largest Zoom event that we've had so far. It was a very inspiring start. And a more personal ceremony at the monastery on Thursday morning where we visited sacred sites, the buildings in the buildings and the grounds, two of our very old and very wise maple trees, the kitchen, the founder's room, and shrine of vows, where we announced our intentions for this practice period to the sky and the forest and the creatures in the forest and this human community. It was a ceremony of offering blessings to the seen and unseen, known and unknown, and asking for their support in return. And now we're in session. It feels like we've landed. Here we are, the culmination of all of that activity, quietly sitting zazen together. In Dogen's fascicle, The Time Being, he says, You may suppose that time is only passing away and not understand that time never arrives. Whether we're in a frenzy of activity or quietly sitting zazen, you may suppose that time is only passing away and not understand that time never arrives. I remember once when I first got here, first started practicing with Great Vow, I was sitting in the back seat of a car with Jogan. He was driving and he said very casually, actually there is no present moment. As soon as moment has been demarcated, it's already gone. And I was 
dumbfounded, actually. <laughs> there is something very special about being very new to practice when the language of Dharma is fresh. It's not as though I fully understand that concept or live that truth now, but I've heard it so many times it can be difficult to engage with the same level of wonder and awe when you first hear a statement like that. The other morning I was late for Zazen and running full tilt down a dark hallway trying to get back to the Zendo when I suddenly crashed very solidly into a chair and landed completely onto the floor. Sometimes Dharma knocks us to the ground like that. When everything we thought we knew is suddenly thrown into question. Jogen's words that day were like that chair. My mind stopped in its tracks, if only momentarily, from its aimless wanderings through samsara. I think falling down can be particularly special because we're suddenly forced back into our bodies. I remember another time riding my bike once, gnashing my teeth over some imagined injustice that had been bestowed upon me when suddenly I hit a curb. I don't know exactly my trajectory. I think I went over the handlebars, but I ended up flat on my back on the sidewalk, uninjured, just very surprised. I was overjoyed in that moment to feel the earth against my skin. I looked up at the sky my I-know-already mind momentarily stunned into silence. I believe sometimes I need to crash into things in order to learn about quiet mind. Sometimes Dharma knocks us to the ground. I notice in these moments that my expectations for what I think will happen are so all-consuming that they totally eclipse what is actually happening. But we get glimpses, so Shin helps us ease into a new way of being with the world. During Ango, we're studying the fascicle Continuous Practice by Dogen Zenji. In it, he says, but even if you run around as a servant of sound and form for a hundred years, if you attain one day of continuous practice, you not only attain the practice of 100 years, but you awaken others for a hundred years. The living body of this one day is a living body to revere, a form to revere. If you live one day merged with the activity of the Buddhas, this one day is considered as excellent as many kalpas of lifetimes. When we run around as servants of sound and form, when we believe time arrives, when we think we can get something and keep it, 
When we believe our expectations and fixed ideas are true, when we avoid the reality of the black fire of impermanence. It's only a matter of time before this kind of relationship with reality comes unglued. And we're all doing the best we can with the tools and circumstances we are given. One of Hogan Roshi's catchphrases for a while was, what's it all coming to? An inflection is very important here. It's not the what's it all coming to after I've been scrolling through the news for an hour. If time never arrives and there is no present moment, what's it all coming to? Stars, moons, galaxies, salamanders, the infinite stream of thoughts about various desserts I would like to eat, this Dharma talk, what's it all coming to? I certainly don't know. This is a question that is, invites us into the particulars of each moment held within an unbounded view. For example, I'm drinking tea, feeling the warmth of the cup in my hand, my body in a chair, dropping the idea that I exist somewhere in time and space as a fixed identity, I feel my tongue coaxing warm liquid down the back of my throat, this tongue and the billion world galaxy. What's it all coming to? When will I arrive? I think that's my question. <laughs> when will I arrive? It's most interesting when we don't try to answer this question with the conceptual mind. This is where wonder and awe are invited to enter. But even if you run around as a servant of sound and form for a hundred years, continuous practice is our theme for this ongo practice period. Another way to word this might be continuous service. What is it that I'm serving in each moment? Is my life in service to my deepest intention? Is it in service for the benefit of others? To whom do I bow? I'll be honest, I'm often serving my personal interests to avoid difficulty and discomfort. This happens when I believe my thoughts are real and I'm not connected with my body. So it's important to ask this question with lots of space around the heart and a don't know mind. We are all doing the best we can in any given moment. To serve our deepest intention does not mean we are rigid and dogmatic. It means being in relationship with whatever is currently being presented. It means a continual state of re-remembering and reorienting towards compassion and wisdom. And that's the practice. I try not to lose sight of the meaning of that word, practice. 
continuous practice, not continuous perfection, not continuous avoidance of any mistakes whatsoever. It's more simple than that. Continuous practice to me means working with the tools I have available in the moment. And like Bancho reminded us yesterday, the body is always in the present moment. I recognize now that the joy of falling off my bike came from the suddenness of embodiment. I was so habituated to remaining transfixed by my thought stream that it took crashing to the ground for me to even notice I had a body. So now I'm working on the body as a refuge, the body in connection with the earth as refuge. And as I practice in this way, the more spacious and flexible the mind-body connection becomes. How is the body as a field of, of sensation with no defined borders? Can we really tell where the floor ends and the body begins? like to offer a very brief guided meditation. You're welcome to close your eyes or set your gaze on the floor. Become aware of your posture, the details of the posture. Make your awareness big, holding the whole body all at once. See if you can soften your relationship with the body being a particular shape or size. Simply a field of sensation. Notice where that field of sensation and the rest of the room begins. You can start with somewhere specific like the shoulders. Can you really tell where your shoulder ends and your clothing and the room begins? Feeling into the space around the body.
staying aware of the whole body at once. And feeling your seat on your cushion or chair. Feel into the space between your body and your cushion or chair. And with that, send your awareness deep into the earth, deep into your connection with the earth. And if you'd like staying with that practice as I continue to talk. Over the years of practice, we build a nice toolbox of practices that can be used in all sorts of situations. Chosen recommends being creative as a way to stay interested in practice. How do we make practice a joyous place of return? Exploring various ways to be embodied can be helpful. When I'm nervous, I breathe into my hara, my lower abdomen. When my mind is spiraling, I connect my feet onto the earth. There are generative practices that help us habituate the mind towards more positive outlooks like loving kindness. And there are emptiness practices like opening up the mind like the sky. Each one has its place and no practice is necessarily more profound than another. Setting clear intentions is an important part of mind training. Each Tuesday during this ongo, residents will read their intentions for the practice period aloud and all at once. It's helpful to check in. What was it that I said I would do? fully awaken and help bring others to awakening. Oh dear. <laughs> Simpler intentions placed strategically throughout our day are also good tools for mind training. Know exactly where you hope to direct the mind during meals, for example. Decide ahead of time so there's no confusion. While eating, just eat. Or if your life doesn't allow you to just eat, Practice the habit of saying a few words of gratitude before diving in. Be clear about where you would like to direct the mind as you climb into bed. Another good example, when you read the news, can you keep your breath steady? Once again, creativity is essential to bringing your practice life to life, and each person will engage it differently. And of course, sit Sazen. Dogen Zenji wrote hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of pages of text. His words 800 years later, a light in the cavernous darkness of the mind's infinite delusions. His reverence for the practice of Zazen is unparalleled. Here's Norman Fisher talking about the Zazen of Dogen Zenji.
Dogen Zazen defies description or explanation. Though Soto Zen teachers sometimes offer practical suggestions about how to sit, they make it clear in their fuller discussions that Zazen is no mere technique. Many have noted the paradoxical language with which Zazen is typically described. This is not to mystify the student, it's because there is no other way to speak of Zazen accurately. The Zazen that Dogen is advocating is neither devotional nor experiential. It's not a form of concentration or relaxation, though it may or may not include any or all of these things. It is simply sitting in the midst of what utterly is with full participation. Dogen speaks to this in the very first sentence of the very first text he wrote explaining Zazen, recommending Zazen to all people. If it is true that enlightenment is everywhere, complete already within us and outside us, then why would we need to do anything to bring it about? In fact, Dogen tells us we don't. We practice Zazen not to produce enlightenment, but to express and manifest the enlightenment that is already there. As he says in Rules for Zazen, Zazen is not a conscious endeavor. It is not introspection. Still, there is a simple way to go about it. In this text, Dogen goes on to explain exactly how to practice Zazen, down to what temperature to maintain the room, what to sit on, what to wear, and exactly how to arrange the body in the correct posture. Zazen practice is not difficult. Anyone can do it, and instruction takes only a few minutes. Yet even many lifetimes are not long enough for it to mature. Zazen is to return naturally to what you most truly are. You have been this all along, whether you sit or not, but when you sit in Zazen, you return to it and embrace it completely. Thank you. Thank you very much for that sweet talk. We have, unfortunately, a few more minutes. Would you just take a deep breath into your aura and go back to what's natural and keep talking? No. <laughs> not knowing, not reading, it's just trust feeling. Can I have a prompt? Open your mouth, say what's in your heart. You start with anxiety.
talking about what your situation is at this moment. Chairs in the road and suddenly you're out of your back. Well, the first thing that comes to mind as I've shared with the residents here is when I'm nervous, I often sit like a tree. Which is sort of the same practice that I offered earlier in regards to allowing the body to be simply a field of sensation. The same feeling of rooting into the earth. And opening the mind like the sky, like the branches of the tree. And our ability to stay, I like that word as far as concentration goes, our ability to put the mind on something and stay. Will give us great power will make us very capable to do anything that we dream of. So becoming a tree and staying as a tree. becoming anything. Not limiting ourselves to this identity that we believe that we have as a gender, as an age. in a particular culture and time. In Zazen, we're invited to drop all of that and see what's left. Stay with it, I have great <laughs>
So becoming a tree or a rock. Or a younger sister or an older brother, whatever. Identity you think you don't have can be a helpful jumping off point into a more boundless way of relating to what we conceive of as reality. We'll close with the four great bodhisattva vows. Mm -hmm. 